Hi, this is Pastor Robert Blanchard from Lansing First United Methodist Church here in Lansing, Michigan. I just want to take a moment to thank you for checking out our sermon podcast. And if you want to learn more about what we do here at Lansing First, or you want to support us in our mission of going deep, reaching out, and loving Lansing, you can do so online at lansingfirst.org. Thanks. Our third scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. When they were approaching Jerusalem, at Bethphage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say this, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Author of life, we thank you for your word and we ask that your spirit would be with us this morning to transform us in heart and mind and soul. Amen. So a few weeks ago, uh, Bill asked me about the song selection for this morning's service. He was wondering whether we should be looking for a postlude that kept with the more upbeat nature of Palm Sunday, or if you should be preparing something a bit more somber for a Palm and Passion Sunday. I said that something upbeat would be appropriate because I try to keep Palm Sunday about Palm Sunday. Holy Week has its emotional peaks and valleys, and I think it's important for us to sit with each of those emotions as they come, rather than trying to rush through them all in one service. But the truth is that we can't really understand this Sunday scene without at least some brief reference to the mood change that is coming at the end of the week. We're coming to an end in the story, but for now, we're at the beginning of the end. So let's go back to the beginning, beginning, and remind ourselves how we've gotten to this point. Since Christmas, we've been seeing how Jesus's presence in the world has unsettled people and powers, 
When he was still an infant, he had King Herod afraid of what a new, true king of the Jews would mean for Herod's own power. When we entered into Mark's version of the gospel, we saw how Jesus was a teacher with real authority who only had to speak in order for things to happen. As we've journeyed through the story of Jesus' life, we've seen how he disrupts unclean spirits and institutions that tried to place themselves between God and the people of God. Jesus' ministry has been one that has been a message of good news and liberation to the oppressed and the marginalized. But it has done so by being a message of conflict, discomfort, and change to those who are in power. Now, as Jesus enters into Jerusalem, he's bringing that conflict to a head. He's pushing the theatrics of his ministry to the point that they cannot go unanswered by those in power. You see, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem isn't just any regular parade. It's layered with symbols. On the one hand, he invokes the prophecies of Zechariah who proclaimed, Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah's triumphant announcement of the coming king upon a colt is accompanied by images of military might, the destruction of of Jerusalem's enemies, and the liberation of those who are in bondage. As we saw about a month ago, this is exactly the kind of Messiah that many of the people expected. They expected a chosen one who would come and restore Israel's fortunes with strength and might. The entry into Jerusalem was also a mockery of Rome's military might. Roman officials like the governor Pontius Pilate would enter into the city with grand displays of power. Astride their war horses, they processed through the city streets to remind the people of Jerusalem who was in charge. The people of Jerusalem would have been getting accustomed to these ostentatious victory parades as the Romans became more and more severe in their oppression of the people. So not only is Jesus playing into the religious hopes of the people, but he's making fun of the ruling Romans. No doubt there were a number of people in the crowd who came to cheer on this young, audacious healer and teacher who was unafraid to mock the powerful Romans who had made their lives miserable. It's in mixing these religious and political symbols that Jesus inspires great crowds to show up and shout their hosannas. In him, there are great hopes for one who will deliver salvation. And we have to keep in mind that as the crowd shouts Hosanna, what they are saying is something like, please deliver us. Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem to an exultant crowd begging for their salvation and their deliverance. If the scribes and the chief priests had been annoyed by Jesus so far, this was the straw that broke the camel's back. 
He was moving from a teacher and a preacher with a devoted group of followers to the leader of a mass movement who threatened to upset their way of life. And because Jesus had carried out his ministry in such a theatrical way, they had all the ammunition that they needed to concoct charges of political rebellion. Jesus had not just walked into Jerusalem. He had invoked the ancient images of a king coming to save his people. And here is where we have to know how the story ends to really appreciate the scene today. On Sunday, it was easy for the crowds to flood into the streets, waving their palm branches and crying out for salvation. They imagined Jesus to be all kinds of things that he wasn't. They imagined him coming to overthrow the Romans. They imagined him avenging all the wounds from the wars of yesteryear. They imagined someone mighty and victorious. But by Friday, those hopes are dashed. Jesus isn't who they wanted him to be. God made flesh doesn't fit into the boxes that they try to fit him into. He doesn't overthrow the Romans. He ends up in a Roman jail cell. He doesn't restore the Davidic kingdom. He receives only a crown of thorns. And so the crowds turn on Jesus. They will call for his death. When they're given a chance to save Jesus, they will instead choose to free Barabbas, a political insurrectionist who they know will be the kind of violent leader that they want. Jesus will be victorious over death. He will reconcile and heal the old wounds, but he isn't going to do it in the way that people wanted him to. Over the last year, a lot of church leaders have struggled with the reality that people can behave like these crowds. As everyone has tried to navigate uncharted waters, there have been many who have really had to confront for the first time in a major way that they cannot be all things to all people. Many of us, clergy and lay leaders alike, have struggled with declining offerings or sudden departures as people disagreed about what the right course of action was in response to the pandemic. And by the way, this isn't to say that there was one silver bullet approach that was the right thing to do. Churches that defied health orders to stay open without masks or social distancing lost people. Churches that have remained entirely online or chose to do events with masks and social distancing lost people. As a result, many have been wondering, what will things look like? When we come back, how many people will we have lost? How will changes in our offerings affect our ministry in the long term? These are understandable questions, and honestly, they're concerns that many of our churches have been facing for much longer than a year. But the events of Holy Week serve to remind us that they aren't the right questions to be asking. For all of the ways that we try to measure the vitality and the health of our churches, none of the tangibles will ever quite be right. 
The number of people in our pews or the size of our budgets don't necessarily reflect our faithfulness to the gospel. The devotion of the crowds isn't revealed on their, by their size on Palm Sunday, but by how many of those people still trusted Jesus on Good Friday. We can worry all that we want about membership numbers or our budget, but those worries won't do anything to fix it. We can worry all we want about appealing to the crowds, but that's not the example that Jesus sets for us. The questions for us to be asking of ourselves is, how have we represented Christ during these trying times? Have we continued to love our neighbors even in the midst of uncertainty? Have we been willing to make sacrifices on behalf of others? Have we worked to make the world a more just place for all of God's children? Have we been growing deeper in our study of the scriptures? Have we opened ourselves up to the movement of the Spirit? Have we stayed in love with God? Conveniently, these are the same kinds of questions that we should always be asking of ourselves and of our church. If we can honestly answer yes to these questions, then everything else is just background noise. If we're faithful to the great commandments to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and to love our neighbor as ourselves, then we have done all that we are called to do. But if we ask ourselves those questions and we come up with different answers, we might need to spend some time in prayer and doing a little soul searching. If we realize that we're only willing to follow Jesus when Jesus agrees with us, or that we've been putting ourselves before others, or that we've spoken out against movements for justice, or that we only want our faith to change the way that we live our lives for one hour each Sunday morning, then we might have to come to terms with just being Palm Sunday Christians. It is right and a good and joyful thing to celebrate with Jesus when we have a cause to celebrate. But we also have to be with Jesus on Good Friday, too. We have to have our trust and our faith in Jesus when he doesn't look or act like we want him to look or act. We have to be willing to give our gifts and our praise to God even when we're in the middle of trying to figure out what the faithful thing to do is. God doesn't want our devotions or our gifts if they come with conditions. God wants us to give back to him as freely as he gave to us when he sent his son to secure our salvation. So join me in being more than a Palm Sunday Christian. Let us go forward together as we remain obedient to the will of God through the highs and lows, the mountains and valleys, so that together we can reach that joy of Easter morning when death will be no more and love will reign over everything. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Christ Jesus, this week we will walk with you through your final mortal steps. May we be shaped to walk this path for the rest of our days. Teach us how to accept you as you are and not just as we want you to be. 
teach us how to suffer for others and to remain obedient to the commands of God, who calls out to us through the whisperings of the Spirit. Amen.